this is how I, I suggest we proceed. Uh, and this is in response to a suggestion from some brothers, and I found this uh, quite, quite a good idea. Instead of having an entire session devoted to question and response, and I'll explain why I say response rather than answer momentarily, I will present something substantial for about an hour. We'll have to see, but that's my intention. Then that would give us about 45 minutes for us to have mutual fellowship. You may have a question. You may ask for clarification or development of something I mentioned. You may request fellowship on a certain matter. I say question and response. And this is not a show of humility. It's just the fact. I don't know the answers to very many things. If there's a a matter of truth that's clearly revealed and defined, we should be able to answer that. But concerning all kinds of matters involving human and spiritual life, we can only respond in a spirit of fellowship with the hearers receiving it as it is, fellowship. And you can ponder it, you may think it's applicable, or you may not. It's okay. Now, I, I will have three major areas of fellowship. But an opening word, <coughs> which I <coughs> give, is not among these three points. Uh, I consider myself as having bid farewell to middle age. But I'm not making a, a case out of when is the official ending. And so I'm quite close to it. It was a, a particular time in my own human and spiritual life. And I have two observations that are part of this uh, introductory word. And the first is based upon an experience that I now present as a kind of metaphor. About two months ago, and please don't worry, I, I, I'm fine. I've never felt more vigorous, happier, energetic, lively in my whole life than in the light of, in the aftermath of certain care I received. But it was necessary for me to get some expert medical care for a certain thing at UCLA. And the way was opened by the doctor who had been overseeing me for a period of time, just keeping watch on things. So I was introduced to a world-renowned physician expert in this field. And this doctor, under his care, had a medical fellow. He's there on a fellowship for a year. So it was quite an honor for him, about 3031, to be a fellow to Dr. Demanus 
this world-renowned expert. And I, I liked the fellow. I appreciated the fellow. He's 31. I could talk to him. I could learn from him. But one thing was clear. You are not touching my body. Okay? You're not going to do this procedure on me. I want this doctor who's about 56 and either at or nearing his prime. He's going to do this. Now, I know you're learning, and we believe that eventually you will equal him. Hopefully, you will surpass him, but not yet and not now. And so I'm glad I didn't have to make my case. I'm glad it was set from the beginning. And I share this with the young adults to make this point. As young adults, you are in a very promising period of learning by doing. But the full weight of responsibility in any society or in the church falls on the middle age and up, not on you young adults. So we're not about to shift the full weight of responsibility to you. We can't do that. God doesn't do that. But we are for your learning by doing and your developing and our heart is that you would match us and surpass us. That's the Father's heart. But both humanly and spiritually, the weight of responsibility, the most significant time, is middle age and up. And I was thrilled. I like to say uttermost now. I rarely say uttermost, but I was thrilled to the uttermost when in 1996, at which time I was 57, Brother Lee said the most useful years are between 60 and 80, spiritually speaking. And it was painful for me to turn 50. I gave a stern warning to my wife and children, don't you dare do anything. This is a sad day. We should mourn. I am 50. This is painful. But when 60 was coming, I felt I'm ready to start. I'm ready to get going. So I sincerely believe this. Although it's against the trend of the culture in which we live, which emphasizes youth and doesn't have, I feel, the significant respect and honor and appreciation for those that are older. So, then another matter is, okay, I'm not a psychologist. I know something about the soul from my own afflictions in the soul. There are human crises at middle age. And I don't think I know anything about the female side, okay, other than the obvious one that we encounter, okay, but on the male side, on the human side, there can be this period of reconsideration of how does my life measure up to my dreams of youth? That um, I once saw a poster that talked about, you know, 
someone was turning a certain age and welcome to the other side of the hill. And when I saw that, I never saw the first side of the hill. Now you're telling me I'm on the other side of the hill. What happened to the upgoing side? And I do recall going through quite a period humanly of reconsideration. And even according to spiritual function, is this, is this it? I mean, is this it? It's just this? And men can do a lot of radical and unwise things when this hits them. My point is that there are inward crises at middle age. You don't just mature and then you just kind of sail on until you fade away. There are very real inner crises, which are important to understand. Okay, now we come to the three matters, and uh, I'll tell you what they are from the beginning. And as I pointed out before, I can only function within my measure. I can't do what other brothers can do. That's why I consider them better than myself in so many things. I have my portion, which is particular and limited, and other brothers have their portion, and you need them for what I could not possibly ever supply. So I am concerned and burdened with three matters as it pertains to this age range. The young adult should know, if you're 40, you ain't no young adult no more. Okay, come on, get with it. <laughs> so maybe till about 70, this is quite a range. I am very burdened um, with the experience and growth of life of the saints. And I'll begin here to, to chart a way, to point a way that may cast light on your path. Then the second matter is related to this, and I'll also identify a ministry resource that you may want to uh, apply. In middle age... Growth is taking place. Let's focus this matter of growth on the Christian life, on the saints in the Lord's recovery. Christ as life is not the only thing that's growing. The self can grow. Disposition can grow. And peculiarity can grow. And middle-aged saints need to know of this to be able to face it when it's happening and then be deeply assured. And I'm here as a testimony of assurance. You can get through this. You don't have to fall prey to this. You can get through this. 
But if we do not advance in the experience and growth in life positively, then as we age humanly, these other elements will grow in us and will end our human life with the full development of these aspects of our natural being. And it isn't a lovely thing. It isn't the way Sister Lee ended with that divine glory and mingled with humanity, the divine humanity. Then the third area concerns function in the church from the point of view of the body and not merely from the point of view of the local churches, although they are inseparable. Okay. So now to the first point. It may be that you heard me say this. It weighs on me all the time in love for the saints. I can say generally of my generation, there are some exceptions. They either left or they got stuck. And there are some in the church where I am. I love them. They've been here for 50 years. I've been here for 48. That's no record, but 50 years. And no growth, no development. And the reason for this concerns the third stage of the experience of life as mapped out by Brother Lee in in the book by that title, The Experience of Life. And I fellowship with the leading brothers a week ago yesterday, and also at other times, there was another occasion, where so many saints have not successfully passed through this. Sorry, it's like a person who... This is a feeble comparison who matures physically but never gets through the teenage years inwardly. So the third stage involves a major turn. In the second stage, we have to deal with outward things based on consecration. We deal with sin, the world, and the conscience. And at any time in our life with the Lord, we have to deal with these things, but they should not be at the forefront of our spiritual growth. But especially when many reach the stage of dealing with the conscience, they stop. And they become very good persons, ethical and moral and even spiritual in quotes. But the third stage involves an inward turn. And the Lord, through the cross, begins to address the real problems, which are all subjective. 
And so the sequence is this, dealing with the flesh, which is the living out of the old man. Dealing with the self. Dealing with the natural constitution. Accepting the discipline of the Holy Spirit. Then dealing with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Now here is the great dilemma. God's purpose is carried out in the fourth stage only. Beginning with knowing the body, knowing ascension, reigning, warfare, and being filled unto the full measure of the stature of Christ. If we are stranded in the third stage, then, then the, the result is obvious. There are very few saints in the local churches who really know the body, who know ascension, who can pray and live in ascension, who reign, who can engage in warfare. And it's useless to exhort saints in this age group to do this or that or be this or that. So I believe we have to identify the need with passing through the third stage of the experience of life. On the one hand, under the Lord's shining in our life with him. On the other hand, and this is where, and I told the brothers, there has been a colossal shortage of shepherding the saints into and through this stage. That we're all sheep. That's why we enjoy having fellow sheep, right? And even the leading brothers are the leading sheep, really. They're not another category. And sheep have no idea where to go next. You can't blame them. But, I mean, I can't prove this statistically, but I'm reasonably assured that if we got all the co-workers and responsible brothers together and asked them, in your memory of the last decades, how much attention has been given to helping the saints enter into and pass through the third stage? How much have you addressed this in the church life? How many have you shepherded one by one in a Jesusly human way because you realize this dear saint is here and doesn't know what to do. And you can't just say, well, go to the Lord, and they go to the Lord, but they don't know how to be with the Lord in these matters. So one thing I would suggest, please take this as a suggestion, that might be helpful. Let's just say in the next approximately six months, you read through, or it would be really good if husband and wife would do this, 
or companions would do it, read carefully through that section on the third stage of the experience of life, but not subjectively. Sort of like a checklist. Lord, am I here? Have I experienced this? Do I know the flesh? I sometimes, in caring for young adults who really don't know where they are, because they're sheep, and sheep don't know where they are, I tell them, you're about to enter the third stage. Okay, Now, here's what's going to happen. You're going to think you're worse. Because the, in order to deal with the flesh, you have to know the flesh. In order to know the flesh, it has to be exposed to you. So you are this nice, gentle, fine, ethical person dealing with the conscience. Now the spirit leads you to deal with the flesh and things surface. Ooh, I didn't know I could be jealous. I didn't know I could be angry. This and that. I'm worse than the enemy comes to lie to you. You need someone to tell you you are advancing. What do you mean advancing? Because you are you're coming to know this, then you can learn the Lord's way to deal with it. So reading that chapter on dealing with the flesh, you just say, Lord, and the Lord will shepherd you. And you can read with others, and you may ask them for their fellowship. Then you go on to dealing with the self the embodiment of the mind of Satan. So how can we deny the self if we don't recognize the self? In Matthew 16, if the Lord said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in the heavens. Upon this rock I will build my church. Now, Peter, you need to deny the self. He said, huh? What? I mean, I can understand the words deny the self. What are you talking about? So before the Lord said deny the self, he talked about his suffering and death and resurrection. Then Peter's self rises up to be the practical expression of Satan. Peter says, this will not happen to you. Pity yourself. The Lord says, get behind me, Satan. Then what an exposure. Then the Lord says, you need to take up the cross, deny the self, and follow me. The self is afraid of light. The self is terrified of the cross. The self fears exposure. But we are in a delightful situation, a realm of love and light. Light is never by itself. Love always covers. Hymn 13 speaks of this. The light illumines, but the love is covering. That's why I try to tell the trainees every now and then, there's a lot of light in this place. The more you're exposed, the more you will grow. But you need to realize love is covering everything. You won't be unclothed. <clears throat> 
So the Lord will bring us on and we'll come to know the self, then know the divine way to deal with the self versus religious and human ways, like suppressing the self or the self trying to kill the self or improving the self or disguising the self. The Lord will show you... The self, the I, is the name of the old man. The entire old man was crucified. That's a fact. This crucifixion was accomplished through the eternal spirit. That is a reality. Now the effectiveness of this old man terminating death is in the all-inclusive spirit. When the self is exposed to you, you say, I'm not going there. I'm not going to inflict this upon my husband, my wife, my children. I'm not going to be here. This is the self. I recognize it. I say no to it. Then in this way, by calling on the Lord, the Spirit applies the death of Christ to the self, and we're free. Just let me give a simple illustration of my learning. This is more technically flesh rather than self. But I was about 30, and a certain brother and I, you could say we were peers in the church life, and he was asked to serve in a certain way, and I was not. And I thought it was good that he was asked, but I shouldn't be excluded. I can do this probably better than he. And then for the, I realized I was jealous. I'm jealous. I said, I'm jealous. I had to say to myself, Ron, you are jealous. And I had just heard for the first time the message on the compound spirit typified by the ointment and how the effectiveness of Christ's death is in the compound spirit. And so, okay, this is the word of a learner, okay? Everything is borrowed. I told the Lord, Brother Lee told us that the effectiveness of your death is in the spirit. Okay, I am jealous. So I'm going to try this out. I will now apply the effectiveness of your death in the spirit through this jealousy. And I did, and it was killed. Not suppressed. It was killed. And I thought, I like this. This is a relief. I don't want to be jealous of others or whatever it is. Then you go a little further to dealing with the natural constitution. It's just what you are by nature. Everything that's involved. And especially the Lord is intent on dealing not with the bad stuff, with all of your abilities. All you got going for you the good side of your personality, the pleasant side of your disposition, your intelligence, your skills, whatever it is that you exercise without relying upon God. You don't need God. You can be independent. You can speak without him. You can administrate without him, whatever it is. So now the Lord wants to touch that and resurrect everything. Then this is followed by, okay, not the discipline of the Holy Spirit, precisely, 
but accepting the discipline of the Holy Spirit. And I dare say all of us in this room, this year, have you not been under the discipline of the Holy Spirit in some way? Not punishment. It's not punishment. It's what Jacob went through. It's waking up with Leah instead of Rachel. It's Laban dealing with you. I don't have to recount the story. But accepting it is a huge step. Okay, accepting, not the end. You've got to distinguish between the enemy's attack and the spirit's discipline. And the light in the body will help you. But once we know it is the spirit's discipline, we should accept it. And I know I'm being personal, but I, I can't disclose someone else's experience. They have to speak for themselves. In 1987, I became very seriously ill. And I was only 47, not quite 48. Brother Rick Scatterday got me to the hospital immediately. And to make the story short, they they couldn't tell, even the sonogram couldn't tell, although intuitively I knew it had something to do with the gallbladder. But the situation got very serious Rick told me sepsis set in. I found out the gallbladder was gangrenous. It could have exploded and that would have ended my life. And so I was taken into emergency surgery. The matter was corrected. A couple of days later, pancreatitis set in and that was another crisis. But the saints were there. The Lord was there. And I passed through because the Lord did not want to end me. He wanted to deal with me. And after I had been released from a rather long stay in the hospital, the house was quiet, all the kids were gone to school, and I could just sit alone on the couch and then ask the Lord, what is happening here? What are you after here? What is this? And... The ministry and the word from First Peter came on the government of God. This is the governmental hand of God on you, not punishing you, but really, really touching you. Then the word came, be humbled under the mighty hand of God. I just humbled myself. I said, I received this. I thank you for preserving my life. I receive this. Then another word came. He gives grace to the humble. And the Lord knows this was a critical point in my middle age section of the journey. But I've observed in peers who became middle-aged what happens when saints refuse to accept the discipline of the Holy Spirit. It's sometimes the Lord bears down more. Other times the Lord says, okay, I'll take my hand off. I'll just let you go your own way. I'll, I'll just leave you as you are. 
I don't want that to happen. Then this is followed by dealing with the spirit, which is dealing with the passageway in our inward parts for the spirit to flow with purity. Okay. The time of middle age, preferably the first half or two-thirds of the middle age period, spiritually speaking, are focused here. It's exceedingly rare, as I mentioned this morning, that someone in their late 30s could really break through to know the reality of the body. This happened to Brother Nee, but he was a particularly chosen vessel, and he had to pay the price, and he did pay the price, for this ministry to be produced in time. But we're not Brother Nee, and we don't bear that particular responsibility. The middle-aged saints should have this aspiration that the Lord would shepherd them all the way through the third stage and reading that book without examining yourself, but prayerfully, maybe with a small group or with a companion and just asking the Lord, have I passed through this? Do I need to learn something here? Lord, I'm willing for you to touch my being. Everything is inward. At this stage, you realize all of the major problems are not other persons. They're not things. They're not matters. They're inside of us. And knowing the body is the direct and spontaneous result of the experiences of dealing with the flesh, the self, and the natural constitution. I don't know if the middle-aged saints would pursue this, even though this is not the line that the church is on, but this is the line that they're on. There's the line that the church is on, but the saints are in all different stages, and shepherding is all-inclusive tender care, So we need to take care of the saints wherever they are. That's why it's an unending labor. Otherwise, they have no way to go on. And of course, it's in this third stage that the fundamental breaking takes place. So this is one line. And I need to say something supplementary designed to shut the enemy's mouth because I'm going to be mad at him if he gives you a hard time over this. And he might after this meeting. He would say, well, very good that now you're learning about this. Uh, If you had only put this into practice 30 years ago, things would have been much different now. But sorry you blew it. It's too late. That is a lie. It's never too late. It's not too late. Besides, the Lord can somehow restore the years the locusts have eaten. Don't take the lie that it's been too long. Whatever it is, that is a lie. The Lord would never release this kind of fellowship if he didn't believe 
You've got time. I'd like to put it this way. We have time to make it. That is maturity. But we really do not have time to waste. Does it mean you have to panic? To be desperate? Many of us don't have the energy anymore to be desperate in that way. It doesn't last very long, even if we are. After a day and a half, we're exhausted with this desperation thing. It's okay. Just let the Lord shepherd you. Now, the second section is really related to the first, but it should stand on its own. And concerning this, I recommend a really large book. But for the time being, just maybe the first 20 chapters in the book, Perfecting Training. Brother Lee conducted this for a year in Anaheim, I think in about 1980. And he would not release those messages anywhere outside of Orange County, not even Texas, because he felt the saints would not be quite ready for that. And here was his main point. And this was a training. So he got brothers sitting down with him on the platform and would question them about where they are in this matter and ask this brother, can you diagnose this brother's situation? Then Brother Lee would diagnose the misdiagnosis. And he didn't do this to sisters. And uh, I think that tells me something. You have to be careful. doesn't mean they're not going to be gained. They'll just be gained in another way. And here was his question. Do you believe that your growth in life matches the years you have been in the church life? And so that was easy to answer. We would all say brotherly, surely not. And you know that. That was his burden. He wasn't just going to let us be. And he wasn't going to only pray for us. He was going to give dozens of messages to help us with this. But you'll see when you consult the earlier chapters, Brother Lee knew that his ministry could not deal with this matter directly. That is why after he would unveil certain things, which I'll mention, he said, no one can help you. You need to go before the Lord directly and present this matter to the Lord and open to the Lord. So, the self. See, in middle-aged persons, the natural life undergoes a development. The self doesn't remain static or unchanged. It intensifies. It spreads. It hardens. It deepens. That is why there's a huge difference 
between an elderly, mature saint, now we're beyond middle-aged, and just an old, opinionated person. And to be very honest, sometimes, especially in giving some initial fellowship to younger sisters, I'll tell them, on this matter, I as a brother cannot really help you much. Uh, I'm not going to go there. You need to seek out the fellowship of an experienced sister who has been through this, and she'll shepherd you. But you have to discern the difference between someone who's opinionated and someone who has matured. Because if you go to an opinionated person and open up, you're going to be hurt big time by the opinions. So, and of course, this is the same with the brothers in another way. But it seems to me the brother's self tends to be outwardly inflated like a balloon. That's why the Lord arranged for me to marry a sister with lots of needles in her purse. <laughs> you go, pum, 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 pum. And, uh, and in the long run, I give the Lord retroactive thank yous and amens for this, you know, some years after the fact. But maybe with the females, it's more inward and deep-rooted. Well, if we don't deal with the self in the third stage, then self is going to grow. And so even if we are seeking the Lord, it can't match what is happening in the self. It's like there's a disease um, devouring us. And no matter how much you nourish, this disease usurps everything. Then there is disposition. This is addressed more in the book, The Experience and Growth of Life. And disposition, Brotherly began to address about 1975, at least in his English language ministry. And in 1975, I was not yet middle-aged, but I was pre-middle-aged. And this thing really hit me when Brother Lee talked about how the disposition just dominates one's being he defined it as the depths of the self. He also defined it simply as the flesh. Disposition is 100% a matter of birth. We are born with it. And parents of two or more children, it's... Um, well, depending how you look at it, it, could, it can be kind of amusing or just amazing how we parents produce such different kinds of kids in their disposition. It's just incredible. But it, come, it manifests quite early. So disposition has to be touched radically or it will intensify. So someone who is deliberate, 
slow, non-spontaneous, thoughtful, at 42. Now at 74 is really slow, etc., etc. And whenever the person prays, they are slow. Whenever they prophesy, it's the same. The Lord is imprisoned in the disposition, and the disposition is growing. It's growing. So if we don't go through the third stage positively, then these other things grow in us, in our natural human life. I think I'll just mention one more, and it's actually the most frightening of them all. Brother Levin called it an antichrist. That's peculiarity. Peculiarity. Defined like this. Our biased and warped characteristics. God created us with certain characteristics. There is no problem with having a personality with certain characteristics. In the New Jerusalem, we will have our identity and our God-created, redeemed, transformed, and uplifted characteristics will remain. We won't be anonymous blobs of jasper. That would be impersonal. We're going to recognize Paul as Paul and Peter as Peter and John as John. But John won't be praying any longer for fire to come down on people who don't agree with him because this matter has been touched. Now, this is in the book. This shows the weight of this, and the Lord needs to cover us. And we need to be poised to tell the enemy to shut up so he doesn't torment us, because knowing this is crucial, but we have to handle it under the Lord's protection. Peculiarity is just the warping of our characteristics. Until they're just, make, make a person unbuildable. They're just unbuildable. And it increases, and Brother Lee calls it, he used the word an eater. It's inside of you, eating up all the nourishment. Okay, here's a real case. I believe this brother is still with us on the earth. I think he is senior to me by a year or two. And he was among the 44 of us who migrated to Chicago when we were in early middle age. No, no, we weren't that, even that. And then when he got into middle age, he just got stranded in himself, in his disposition, in his peculiarity. And he had the practice of reading two life study messages a day. He was devouring the ministry. 
And he demanded of his wife that she do the same or he wouldn't talk to her. So he would present himself as the advocate of the ministry, but first he withdrew from the church where he was, then he moved out to the desert to be with some saints, convinced that he and he alone and those with him were practicing the God-ordained way. At one time he sent a letter to the leading ones in all the churches, teaching them and exhorting them, this and that. Well, really, it's not normal. Let's just take human eating. You don't have to devour vast amounts of food in order to sustain yourself. If someone is devouring huge amount of food, even organic, healthy stuff, and is losing weight and is getting weak, there's something inwardly wrong. And I don't know how this brother will end up. But Brother Lee says in this book, I mean, this is one of the most startling things I ever heard him say. He said, it would have been better for certain saints if they had died earlier than they did. They had died earlier. And here's the reason. This is why we have to be covered. Because we're not going to follow Ezekiel Emmanuel, the architect of Obamacare, who is public on record as saying that I should die right now at 75. That's the ideal age to die. We're not opening to that. But here's what happened. Say at 48 or 55, this one is really, the life is blossoming. As it was with an elder in Anaheim and a co-worker, as it was. Then it stopped. The growth in life stopped. And the peculiarity took over until it just usurped a person. I'm not saying it nullified the previous growth, but it overpowered it. It just ate up the person. So at the end, the person was just a peculiarity. Well, Brother Lee shared this with us in faithfulness and in love and at a cost. Now, trainees in FTTA, they don't need teaching about this. Young adults, they don't need a dose of this. But there is no exception to this. We have to pass through middle age. We look to the Lord to preserve us much longer that in maturity of life we may minister to the church. We have to know positively the stages we're passing through And we have to know the risks of not passing through them. But here is something to me truly encouraging. And it's related to the word foster. Something that has the effect on you of just promoting your growth, encouraging you to grow. Okay, here is Brother A. 65. 
Here is Sister B, 69. They're in the church life. They're not in the self. They reign over their disposition. And they're not peculiar. What happened? What happened? You realize something very positive happened in them. And we all were the same in the beginning. The latent elements of this are in all of us. But they experienced something, and God is no respecter of persons, that brought them through. And their presence in the church life, even if they hardly say anything, even if the sister just doesn't open her mouth in a prayer meeting, the very presence of this person assures us you can have a glorious end. Why not? Why not? There's nothing that difficult about you that not even God himself can deal with it. Why not? And as another personal illustration, this goes way back. I'm only 27, been in the church life for six months. The first time I saw Brother Lee speak. I'm saying saw for a reason. I I didn't know life. I didn't know the self. But I'm watching him speak. And two words are going through my mind again and again. No self. No self. I didn't know what the self was, but the spirit knew. Because in my background, the preachers were trained to exhibit the self. The better job you did, the better position you got. Speaking for self-glory. And here he is, a man at that time, 1967, he was about 62. There he was, no self. And spontaneously, there was a twofold reaction. One was respect for him. For whatever he passed through to bring him to this point where there would be no expression of the self. The other was a prayer with an aspiration that, Lord, I would like to follow the same steps that that brother took. I have no idea what they are. No idea. But I believe there are steps that you intend that we follow. He is here as a pattern to encourage us. He's not just teaching us. He started as a flesh of sin like all of us, with all the germs in him. But he received help from the Lord and from Brother Nee, and I would like to follow in the same steps. So although there are these potentials in us, I do not believe in them. I believe in God's complete, total, organic salvation experienced in our lifetime. I believe in the effectiveness 
of the all-inclusive death of Christ. I believe in the power of his resurrection life. I believe in the law of the spirit of life that is conforming us to the image of the firstborn son of God. And even now, at my present age, I don't envy the young, and I don't even envy you young fellers that are middle age, right? I wouldn't want to go back. I wouldn't want to be 30 again. I wouldn't want to be 50 again. I don't even want to be 65 again. If the Lord preserves me for his interest and his ministry and for the benefit of the body, and I'm really, really old, I might look back. I don't want to be that young feller when, like when I was 75 with the saints in Boston. I'm not afraid of just getting older. What I'm afraid of is stopping the growth in life to maturity. And so you put these two lines together, it equals maturity. The Lord knows where we are. He would like us to open to him and to give him the ground to minister to us. He'd like to serve you. If part of you needs to be healed, he's a physician. He's the high priest bearing you before the face of God. He is your shepherd. He is the resurrection life in you. He is your grace. He is everything. He just needs the opening. He needs you to be willing to be enlightened so that the enemy has less and less room to hide in you. The spirit of man as the lamp of the Lord is searching. The darkness is receding. The self can hide. Disposition is exposed. The peculiarity is brought to light. We see them. Then we can, don't apply willpower, but we make a decision. I say no to my entire fallen being. I am a new creation in Christ. My old man has been crucified. I believe in your salvation. I believe I will make it. My goal is maturity for the sake of the body. Then now the third matter, uh, which will bring it my part here beyond the initial hour. How much? I don't know, but I want to be faithful to the Lord and to you to let it all flow out. And the third part concerns just our function and our practical service in the local churches as expressions of the body of Christ. And I do have a wish here. And the wish is rooted in, I suppose, my personal history under the Lord's mercy. I wish in the middle-aged brothers and in the sisters function could be separated from being preoccupied whether or not one is in the lead. This would be so liberating if this element in our being that prompts us to think, I've been here so long and I'm still not a responsible brother or an elder or a leading brother, that equals failure. That just equals failure. I'm going to mention 
the name of a person who's about the same age as I am. And the principle is to honor the members of the body, not the comely members. They don't need so much honor. Those we don't pay attention to. There is a brother in Anaheim who has been in the Lord's recovery probably for about 52 years. He is a simple, unassuming, faithful, humble brother. Never wanting something, never giving you the impression that he feels down. Brothers so much younger than he have become leading ones. Now at his age, with his health, he'll never be an elder. He has a particular capacity to help and to supply. And that's why I treasure Brother George Poon. I treasure him as much as I treasure, if not more, than any gifted brother who might even be a kind of an apostle today. I respect that. You're a prominent member. You got enough honor. What you need is to bear more reproach and scorn. That'll be good for you. But this is what we need. Hundreds of brothers like this who have, through the growth in life, and one other matter, which I'll mention if I remember to mention it, have been brought into a practical and organic function. And at this point, I'm going to say something just a little philosophical. What is the meaning of the Christian life? Personally, the meaning of the Christian life is to function as a living, vital, organic member of the body of Christ. That's the meaning. It's not being this or that. It's not doing this or that. God has set the members in the body, everyone, as it pleased him. As we grow in life, we are willing to accept the member we are, actually, though, without knowing what we are. We just are what we are by the grace of God. And by that grace, we are led to serve. Whether it's in a practical way, whether it's in children's meeting, young people, in the service office of the church, in opening our home, in preaching the gospel, Whatever it is, we just realize when I do this, I'm just so at peace. I can't do what Dick Taylor can do, what Monoro can do, what Benson can do, what Andrew can do, what Paul Wu can do. I don't have to. I'm not those brothers. I'm not those members. If I tried to be that, there'll be disharmony in my being 
and unrest in the body. I just want to be the member that the Lord intended me to be, whatever it is. And one major reason for the entire recovery and implementation of the God-ordained way is to release all the saints to function according to what they are. Okay, regarding not being in the lead in the church. Okay? I was in the lead in a church for two years and nine months between 1971 and 1974. In 1974, I moved to Anaheim when Brother Lee moved the ministry there. Anaheim is a big church. Before I migrated to Chicago in 1970, I did things like serve in ushering. And guess how I was serving in Anaheim in 1974? I'm back at ushering. Listen, I was a leading brother. It's dangerous for leading brothers to stop leading, being leading brothers for many, but the Lord had mercy on me, and I'm just here as a brother, and I've been just a brother for the last 40 years in the church. And more and more, the leading brothers will be younger than I. They have to be younger than I. They, they can't be my age. No, they have to be younger than that. I'm ready to honor them, to be in subjection to them. And just a little story. This is the testimony of the Lord's mercy. This is not a testimony of my absoluteness. It's the Lord's mercy. In 1996, Brother Lee called me to his house for some fellowship and I thought it was about the trip I was taking and that he wanted to give me some direction which he did but that wasn't the main purpose and he began by saying brother we need we need to strengthen the eldership in Anaheim and, and inwardly I'm saying no brother Lee please no I can't take on anything more I'm doing what I need to do. And then he told me, on this Lord's Day, they'll be appointing three brothers. And he said, actually, you should be one. But then he went on to explain, this hadn't to do with my person, but my situation. And a very precious person to me, he realized, it's just better that you not. And I was so relieved. I can truly say this. The Lord bears witness. I was so relieved. That was on a Thursday. On Friday, I thought, I need to be with Susan. Let's go to 369. Okay, have you heard of that place? Okay, Shanghai steamed dumplings and shrimp sautéed, no salt. And, and we're there. And I wanted to share something with her to really care for her, even though I knew that she would not fully know why I'm saying this. 
So somewhere between the Shanghai steamed dumplings and whatever else it was, I said, dear, this Lord's Day, three brothers will be appointed elders. I will not be among them. Okay? I want you to know that I have no problem with this. I am happy with this. Now, what I was not saying was, in no way are you responsible for holding me back. I'm very happy with this arrangement. If you held me back, I'm happy with that arrangement too. So somehow the Lord had mercy on an ambitious person. And I could be freed simply to be whatever member I am with the grace of God given to me to serve. And that's what's in my heart for you all. That we cannot know the member we are. If we try to figure it out, we'll get lost in self-analysis. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. So the grace comes, and we are what we are in Christ, and we simply serve. And when we do that, we're content. If we would be asked to do something else, it would be really trouble within. I can't do that. It's not my portion. Don't ask me to do what Brother Minoru can do. I don't have that portion. Don't ask me to do what Benson can do. I don't have that portion. So I'm not ambitious to do these things. But oh, whenever I just stay within the measure by the grace given to me, I'm so happy and it seems to me the saints are peaceful. They seem to think this, is, this seems to be in harmony. Everything is in harmony. If this matter could be uprooted, when you're young, they may, yes, I know there's a word about aspiring to overseership. Okay, there is such a word. But we shouldn't view our usefulness as having some position in the church. That doesn't mean anything to the Lord. One day we're all going to appear before him as his slaves. And he will want to know, what did you produce with the talent I gave you? And I gave you the talent that matched what you are. And it didn't matter to the Lord whether it's one or five. The criterion was the same. Suppose the one talented one could come and say, Lord, you gave me one talent. And Lord, I'm presenting you two talents. I produce another talent. Do you think the Lord would say, you only produce one? He produced five. The Lord doesn't go that way. The five-talented one, whoa, does he have a responsibility. 
But there aren't very many of those. Surely Brother Nee, Brother Lee was one. Just imagine, Brother Nee was laboring on this in 1948. What would happen if the one talented members were actualized, if they were vitalized, and didn't look down on what they have, and didn't compare themselves with what others have. All this is the self. If we could be delivered from all of that, and here's a brother, he now enters into his 70s. He's not in the lead. Brothers half his age, like my situation, are in the lead. He doesn't feel, I got passed by. I got misunderstood, this and that. There's a dear brother. I'm not sure where he stands. He says he's, he's in the Lord's recovery, but he's just never around. But when I came into the church, I got to know him, and he took care of me. And one day we were serving on something practical. And he said about himself, he said, I have the gift of ministering the word. But... It has not yet been manifested in the church, so nobody knows. I thought, well, I'm a beginner. I don't know anything. It makes sense. Then a couple of years later, he said basically the same thing, and I had a little more reflection. I noticed he really had a gift for hospitality and other service. Then eventually I realized the reason his gift of ministering the word has not been manifested, is that he never had the gift of ministering the word in the first place. So there is nothing to manifest. And now he's waiting for a dream of something because according to his assessment, he has this when all along you can be a father to so many, you can shepherd so many, you love to have your home open. You love to meet with small groups of saints. Why wouldn't you just do that and stop waiting for what's never going to happen? Okay? And if someone does have that portion and it's manifested, then you won't be jealous. But if you're jealous like I was when my peer got something I thought I should get, then you know what to do. You kill the thing. Right? You kill the thing by applying the cross to it, then you're free. Then, you know, the body, in, in my body here, there's no rivalry among the members. Even my whole body appreciates my flat feet. They've been holding me up for 75 minutes. <laughs> you know, I, I got supports in there to help with the fallen arches. But there's no competition, there's no rivalry. I just long for a church life in which you've got dozens of middle-aged saints that are a pattern. This is how we are. We're so content here. We, we have our portion. We have our place. When I meet the Lord, I want to be able to tell him, I was faithful to minister with the grace you gave to me, the Lord will say. I know. There's this verse in Hebrews. The Lord is not unrighteous to forget all of your labor of love, all your service. 
Every meal you prepared, every saint you shepherded, every prayer you offered, every, everyone you comforted, everyone you brought to the Lord, all of these things. Can't we just, the middle-aged ones, now I'm identifying with you temporarily. Can't we just let this happen? It's not that by ourselves we can just bring this into being. But how good it would be for the church if we just let this happen. And then, contrary to the age in which we live, 60 and 80 is the most useful. Okay? So I was really buoyed up by that. But now 80 is a lot closer than 60. I'm wondering what happens next. Uh, thank you, Brother Lee. Because in another place you say, the most useful age is at 80. In, <laughs> in other words, it never stops. So now I've opened my heart to you. This is what is in me for all the middle-aged saints regarding the experience and growth in life, regarding their being rescued from the inner perils that face us all and regarding their being what they are by the grace of God, like Brother George Poon. These members are indispensable. Indispensable. And so are you. But the key to this, and I'm going to end with this, I think, and where we go after this, I don't know. It just, you may feel to give a confirming word of sharing. We may have the burden to pray. You, you might have a question or a request, and I'll try to handle this. But here's what should be our practical goal. It'll come as no surprise. Maturity. Maturity in life. There is a note On Ephesians 3, somewhere around verse 15, as many as are full grown that are mature will have this mind. Maturity also is a stage. And it is in a positive sense relative. My older son is 44. How can I say he's not a mature man? He's an excellent father. He's been trained how to work. He works diligently to earn a living to support his family. He's a brother in the church that helps in this and that. Is he not mature at 44? But he's not mature, excuse me to say, the way his dad is mature at 75. But the fact that he's not mature the way his dad is doesn't change the fact that he is mature where he is. So the standard of maturity is not Brother Lee. He had to reach, I believe, an unprecedented level of maturity that hasn't been seen since the Apostles. I don't believe you can find one person in church history that comes anywhere close because the ministry required that. So in the last years of his life, he could reach, he could release the high peak of the divine revelation. But we, you shouldn't think that, well, 
That's the standard. And it, if I don't arrive at that, if I can't give three messages a day in a 10-day training when I'm 65, I'm exhausted after giving three messages. He gave 30, okay? So it, it is a properly relative standard that you enter into it. You just realize that you're here. And the Lord's recovery will need more and more and more saints like this because the weight of responsibility is borne by us. The weight of the spiritual responsibility. When it comes to warfare, the young people are clueless. They should be clueless. But the Lord needs the experienced warriors in prayer and other ways. And they can cut the way and all the others will follow. There will be needs, there will be cases that young brothers in their 30s taking the lead cannot possibly answer. The saints will feel the way I felt toward the fellow. I respect you, you're promising, you're going to be very good, but you're not touching my situation. There's someone here, 76, I just have the sense he has been through a lot. If I open to him, Maybe I won't get an explanation, but I'll get God. I'll get grace. I'll get resurrection life. So I'm full of hope. I do ask the Lord to preserve me, not because I'm afraid of ending, but for the body's sake, that more and more saints will mature all over the recovery. And then saints that are about to say goodbye to young adulthood can look upon the middle-aged saints and say, I don't believe I'm going to get stuck. I don't believe I'll be stranded. Because look at these sisters. Look at these brothers. Look at this couple. They went on. They got through. I'm going to get through. Satan, you're a liar. I'm going to mature before I die. And from that point on, I'm going to pour out myself for the building up of the body of Christ until I finish my course and hear you say, good job, man. Well done. Okay, the burden is gone now. I can now say, I sense the release. The burden is gone. We have 22 minutes. We don't have to stay 22 minutes. I don't know what to do. We want to, maybe we should pray. Maybe you want to share something. I'm just going to take the mic off and sit down and have a drink of water and see what happens. Okay.
Forget the second point. But now I remember what I forgot. So while I'm still remembering it, I should fulfill my word to you. This is regarding our function. Uh, Brother Lee points out in the book the practical expression of the church. Uh, And the resource is Ephesians 4 on the growth But also on this second matter, we need to be subdued. That in that chapter, the Lord led a train of vanquished foes. And we are the vanquished foes. So when we grow in life, and when certain elements in us are subdued, the combination of these two causes our function to emerge Now, I'm using the word subdued and not the word simply defeated. An army may be defeated by a superior force ten times greater. To be subdued means there is no longer any resistance. So for us to be subdued as well as defeated, I think I'm enlarging upon Brother Lee's word. First we're defeated, we're conquered. But then we are subdued in that all inward resistance to the Lord's intention with us is now over. And this is a very great thing. This is related to accepting the discipline of the Holy Spirit and to so many other matters. And you can't pretend this with the Lord. Jacob didn't pretend. He just struggled all night, and the Lord intended, I want this to be an all-night struggle, so you will have some idea how powerful you are. So I'll wait to the last minute, just before dawn, before I touch you. So I just felt I owed it to you and the Lord since I mentioned a second point and indicated I might forget it, and you can understand forgetting stuff, right? (laughs) But how good we can temporarily remember what we forgot and take care of it before it's gone forever. testify I feel very encouraged. Amen. You know, I feel like our brother has just put a road map in front of us. Also a pattern of living. You know, and it just helps make the way clear. Someone's cut the path for you a bit. You know, both with respect to the truth and the pattern of their humanity. So I'm very thankful that this is in the body of Leah. May we be faithful to take this pattern Amen. in and let it be lived out in us. You know, when, uh, 
when we face a, a matter of discipline, you know, our reflex is to resist it. Uh, and, you know, our brother shared that uh, accepting it is a, is a huge step and uh, is, is, is critical. Uh, so would you elaborate on that further, uh, have some, that, you know, uh, we see the matter of discipline as something bad coming to us, and so we resist it. Uh, we we uh, might even feel that uh, this is something, you know, that is terrible, that we should not accept it. Uh, yet our, our moving forward uh, has to do with accepting it. So even though our initial reflex is not, not to accept it. So how, how do we know, you know, uh, we fear that uh, we would be accepting something bad uh, by opening ourselves up uh, to the possibility of being, being dealt with. So uh, uh, th there seems to be a lot of time spent in that uh, quandary and uh, uh, so, okay. uh, let's look at the picture of Jacob's life when he was resisting and when he was no longer resisting. When he woke up in the tent and Leah, uh, uh, Rachel, was nowhere around. Leah was there. He didn't say, all Leahs work together for good. This is God's arrangement. Lord, I thank you. He could not do that. He was intensely in love with Rachel. He was cheated. He was outsmarted. He could not accept that. During all those 20 years with Laban, Laban is changing his wages, making him tend the flocks at night when he's cold. He could not accept that. Then there was this decisive point at Peniel when his natural strength is touched. Only after that happens can we even begin to accept. Now, what are we doing when we say we accept? It's a combination of a vision, the vision of Bethel, even the reality of Bethel, and realizing that we do need the Lord's touching and the Lord's dealing. We now have some understanding of ourselves. Jacob realized if I could struggle like that, it was a life and death struggle. No wonder the Lord had to do so much to give me these fragmentary dealings. No wonder. So, but we cannot accept anything until there is a basic breaking which touches the root of our strength. So it's not that we make up our mind. We don't passively accept. You could decide tonight, Lord, starting tomorrow, I will accept everything. Well, one day I was teaching a class on God's economy and the full-time training and defined God's economy <clears throat> as his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into us. Then illustrated by the Lord's feeding of the 5,000, his intention was to feed them, but first there was an arrangement. 
You had to put the people in groups. Then he distributed the food through the apostles. And if you wouldn't accept your group, if you wouldn't accept this fellow Judas, he has bad vibes. You want to be in John's group. You don't get any food. So the trainees were so happy and they, they virtually marched out of class, determined to accept God's arrangement for them in the training. And inwardly, I'm laughing in an affectionate way. We come back a week later and I ask them, how is this accepting God's arrangement working for you? And they had to admit, not so well. And then I told them, none of us is good at this, okay? When the self doesn't get what it wants, it reacts. When things cross our natural being, we react. So Jacob is more than not accepting. But he was touched decisively. Then there was further growth and he touched the reality of Bethel and began to know God as the God of the house of God. He's now touching the body. He's living in fellowship with God, or at least he's on the way. Then how does he react to a terrible loss? His beloved Rachel is in labor. The midwife is there trying to encourage her. Rachel knows she's dying. Jacob is there. This is the love of his life. This is his natural choice. And the child is born. I'm touched whenever I tell this. I know we're familiar with it. And out of her sorrow, she named him Benoni, son of sorrow. And Jacob immediately changes the name to Benjamin, Benjamin, son of the right hand. That is subdued. Surely, he's aching. He's a human. How can you not grieve? But he didn't grieve like an ungodly person. There was another element in him. And this was spontaneous. Then he buried her and set up a pillar as a memorial of this turning point. And he journeyed on. The same thing happened, although much deeper, with the loss of Joseph and with the potential loss of all of his sons. When they had to go back with Benjamin to Egypt, then Jacob said, If I am bereaved, then I am bereaved. This is not being fatalistic. Lord, if this happens, then it happens. So this is the process. We need to have some vision. We need to be decisively touched so that we just can't resist. You just can't. There's another kind of reflex in you. And the Lord is there interceding for you, shepherding you. And in the midst of the loss, something deep within is somehow able to receive this arrangement from the Lord. And Christ comes forth. Okay? But I need to add something because we're not in a simple situation. If we now have the attitude toward the Lord, 
that we're willing to accept the discipline of the Holy Spirit, that is very good. But we have a heartless, cruel enemy. Then he says, oh, now you're willing to accept the discipline of the Holy Spirit. So under the covering of this, I'm going to cause this, I'm going to cause that. And then you think this is the discipline of the Holy Spirit. You don't want to rebel against God. So you accept it. But the more you accept this, the more you are worn out to nothing. Till eventually you realize this is not a matter of accepting the discipline of the Holy Spirit. But how can we be clear? Well, Brother Lee points out, I believe it's in the chapter on knowing ascension. When someone is living in ascension and you are above the spheres of the enemy's activity, you can discern what is from him and what is the discipline of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes praying with a person and bringing with a person who has this discernment by living in ascension. But there may not be such a person available or you may not be inclined to talk about the matter. So you can pray like this. And the Lord will honor this. To say, Lord, I don't know where this is coming from. But if this is from you, then I will accept what is from you. But if this is from the enemy as an attack, I reject that because you want me to reject that. So when the dear saints are reaching the point where they are not resisting so much, then the enemy's strategy will change and try to take advantage of that. And we're not about to be doormats. It's not going to stomp on us. We have a commission to execute God's judgment on you. And your strategy is to wear us out gradually over time, right? Satan's wearing out tactics to wear us out. Now we're not benefiting. We realize we're not benefiting from this. There isn't the grace. And so eventually we're enlightened and the Lord shows us this is the enemy then you, then in a proper sense, your spirit explodes against him. And you say, you are the source of this. You are behind this. I condemn you. I judge you. The Lord has defeated you. You're not going to do this to me. This is not from the Lord. So it's somewhat complicated. And we may be able to do a certain amount. This is why we need mature and maturing saints. So that for every need... There is someone that has passed through that. The supply is in the body somewhere. If we're in a small locality and we have the feeling and the brothers are humble enough to admit we can't handle this, then realize there are some ones in the body, let me say, who can handle this. Don't imprison the saints in your locality. Admit this is beyond us. We've got to learn how to do this. That's why we miss Brother Lee so much and Sister Lee so much, because we knew to whom to go. There are some times in my travel, not often, I keep in touch with my wife, I let her know what's going on, but sometimes I tell her, this is serious now. There's a direct attack now, and there's a very real threat 
Okay, I didn't have to say anything. I knew what she would do. She would hang up the phone. She would not try to pray. She would not call companions. She would call Sister Lee, speak to her for about 30 seconds. Then it was over. When she prayed in ascension with authority, reigning in life, she could handle the situation. And the environment changed. So how good that my wife would recognize this I cannot handle, even my peers cannot handle, but there is a sister on the other side of the wall because we live right next to Grace Court. I'll call Sister Lee, and Sister Lee is glad to receive that kind of call because believe me, she was a warrior and she was reigning in life and she was mature. And we need more sisters like her, not just who pray a lot, but who have that stature and their presence will mean a lot in the church life. I think maybe we should just, is there anything else for four minutes you want me to comment on? I think maybe this is sufficient. So uh, if you'll allow me, I'd just like to pray at the end for us all. Lord Jesus, we love you more than ever before. We're so thankful for your redemption and your salvation. For your forbearance, your kindness, your your tenderheartedness, your understanding, your long-suffering. Lord, we're assured you are for us. During the last two hours, you've been praying for us, ministering to us. You will not let us go. So we turn to you again in faith and love and say, Lord, we give you the rest of our days, the remainder of our life. For the sake of the body, cause each one of us to grow to maturity. Save us from all the inward pitfalls, the self and peculiarity and disposition. Bring us into function, that we will just be whatever we are by the grace of God. Lord, do it in the lives of all the saints that are here, in all middle-aged saints in the Northeast, in all saints in the Lord's recovery. Show them the best is ahead. A new day has dawned. We have much hope. You gained others. You can and you will gain us. So we'd like to thank you and praise you. What a Lord we have. What a husband we have. What a physician we have. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. We are yours now and forever. How we long to see you face to face. We pray for the building up of the body. The preparation of the bride. We long to see you in the wedding feast. We long for that sweet. When brides meet. And we see that you have the desire of your heart fulfilled. For this we live, Lord. In the midst of all of our human situations even all of the sufferings of human life. May we never be stumbled at you, never be offended at you, but always be open to you. Lord, do do whatever is in your heart concerning us, concerning each one of us. Fulfill what is in your heart and grace each one of us to be faithful to the end, to finish our course and to receive the crown of righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for giving us prayer. 
Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. We know that you hear our prayer. Therefore, we know that you are answering our prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. I don't know when I'll see you again, but when I do, you'll have a lot more Christ in you. Me too. Okay? Amen. Amen.